Good morning, Bucknutters. It is September 22nd, 2019. This is Bucknuts Almost Live. I am Dan Rubin. Welcome to another edition of our Sunday in-season morning podcast, aiming to put everything Buckeye-related in perspective. We will be joined, as always, by Bill Curlick and Matt Baxendale to offer their unique brand of recruiting content and fandom. But first, let's wrap up how everything went yesterday for the Buckeyes and take a walk around college football. The Miami game went about as expected. It culminated in a 71-point, 76-5 victory for the Buckeyes over visiting Miami of Ohio. It did not start great. They were down 5 nothing, but the second quarter was a work of art. Not going to spend a ton of time talking about the game today. I will let back handle most of that. It was fun to watch some of the youngsters play. The one guy I want to mention who just continues to impress me is Ben Victor. I thought Ben Victor was an average player for his three years here. I had no confidence in him when the ball was thrown to him. And now he's become a reliable, quality senior receiver. His catch on third and 20 was as good of a play as he's made since he's been here. Obviously not as impactful as the touchdown against Penn State, but still brilliant. And we'll let everyone else take it from there. I did get a chance to look around nationally yesterday, and I want to revisit a question I asked on a very popular podcast before the season started. Why did people think Michigan was better than Ohio State? Got a chance to watch them play Wisconsin yesterday. The game was not overly competitive. Michigan's offense is bad. Their quarterback play is poor. Their offensive line is god-awful. There's some highly recruited guys on there. Wisconsin is a strong team. Obviously, they run the ball very well, but I can't even really give you a good judge of how good they are based on how poorly Michigan played. Wisconsin game now becomes a little bit more interesting on the docket. They're very one-dimensional to me. Jack Cohn is a nice quarterback. Is he able to push it down the field in pressure situations? One-man teams don't strike me as outfits that can stop the Buckeyes. Got a chance to look at some of the other contenders as well. Watch Joe Burrow and LSU. Joe Burrow, by the way, now Heisman favorite in Vegas. So it turns out Ohio State had two first-round quarterbacks after all, and then got a transfer of another one in here, but I digress. Interesting about LSU, they've finally gotten it together passing-wise, and their offensive attack is impressive. Now their running game is suspect, and now their defense is not as good as we expected. Or hasn't, not expected is probably a poor choice of word there. Traditionally, LSU has been dominant on the defensive line and excellent defensively. I think they're unusually down on defense. They allowed 38 points to Vanderbilt yesterday. They remind me of Ohio State last season, that they were all passing, really not a great running team, and, and didn't do great on defense. So it's very interesting there, though it's good to watch Joe Burrow play as well as he has. Alabama, obviously their offense is unreal. Might be the best receivers group that I've seen, certainly in recent memory. But their defense started five freshmen. They're unusually down on the defensive line. So as it pertains to Ohio State, LSU, and Alabama, I see them as teams Ohio State can trade punches with. We'll wait to hear from backs on the Georgia-Notre Dame game. I did not see enough of them to really get a good sense of it. But I will say this, Clemson and Oklahoma right now look to me like more of a threat than the others. Clemson, I still have to see put it all together. Oklahoma's offense to me looks virtually unstoppable. That's where my concerns would be there. But I do think it's looking good for Ohio State from a national perspective. Like I said last week, I feel like their defense makes them a legit contender. I've always thought their offense was able to score, but now that they have the defense to go with it, and you look at some of the other squads, Alabama's down on defense. They're going to be young on defense regardless. LSU's defense, yes, now they have the offense to go with it, but the defense isn't what it used to be. Georgia, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll let Bax comment on that one, but I see it as Clemson and Oklahoma, ironically, being the two teams they got to go through mm-hmm. right now. We'll be back in one minute with Bill Curley. 
And we're back. The lovely and talented Bill Curlick, Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, joins us every week here on Bucknuts Almost Live. Bill, how goes it this fine Sunday? Very well. A little bit of a uh, weather day yesterday here in Columbus, as you saw. Uh, anyone watching on TV, got some rain here in central Ohio at Times Harbor, but today is a beautiful morning in Columbus. Sun coming up and uh, should be a great day. Buckeyes with a big win. Quickly, Bill, your thoughts on the decimation of the Red Hawks in Columbus? There had to be a high, some high State fans scratching their heads when the score was two to nothing, and then uh, five to nothing. But you knew it was just a matter of time, and High State quickly righted the ship and uh, just, just rolled. And you know, it, it, this Ohio State team has just been. Uh, impressive in just about everything they do all season long. And I know it's only been a handful of games, but still, you know, they've just been impressive. And uh, one of the things that I'm particularly impressed with is the depth that they're, uh, that they have at this point. You know, you come in, you've got four running backs that uh, looked the part yesterday. Uh, an offensive line is playing extremely well. Uh, a defensive line that had a bunch of injuries yesterday but still um, was a huge factor and uh, the defensive backfield there is more depth on this Ohio State team than uh, that I can remember in, in the in the recent years really so it's all good right now for the Buckeyes certainly. Which recruits were in the house to see it yesterday Bill? Well the main thing is that there were two uh, recruits there on official visits, and one of them is committed, Mookie Cooper, uh, an outstanding slot receiver prospect, and um, he was the one that kind of topped off the class when it came to receivers. Ohio State had come with some three great, great wide receiver prospects. They wanted a slot. They got their number one guy in Mookie Cooper, and he kind of uh, put an exclamation point on Brian Hartline's spectacular array of um wide receiver and slot receiver commitments. So he was in the house as an official visitor. And then the other one, an extremely important one, Ryan Watts, an Oklahoma cornerback commitment, making his official visit to Ohio State this weekend. And that's really significant in that Ohio State has long wanted to add uh, one more cornerback to the class. They've got an outside corner in Legend Cavazos. They've got a guy that can play outside corner, but uh, maybe is slightly better suited as an inside corner, that being Clark Phillips, and he's a great one. And they wanted to add another outside corner, and Ryan Watts is a guy that they really, really like. Um, he's got length, you know, he's got speed that breaks on the ball well. He's just an outstanding football player, and he is committed to Oklahoma. But Jeff Halfley is trying to flip him this weekend, and you know the way Halfley is recruited, and and he has been on par pretty much with um, Brian Hartline, and they are two of the top five recruiters in the two four seven sports recruiter rankings. And you know you you got to give Ohio State a chance with him being making an official visit this weekend. Watts that is, and Jeff Halfley and Ryan Day and the defensive staff recruiting him. You got to give the Buckeyes a chance. We'll see what happens. In the chase for committed prospects, like you said, what you really want to see is official visits because obviously Oklahoma is not happy he did that regardless of what they say publicly. So I got to think they got a shot to get Ryan Watts flipped, which is wonderful. Bill, you were on the road on Friday night, as you are wont to do, to go out and check out future Buckeyes. Let us know who you saw and what you thought. Well, I was down at the uh, I was down at Cincinnati Princeton for the Cincinnati Princeton Coleraine game, a good game. Uh, Coleraine, one of the perennial 
state powers uh, held off Cincinnati Princeton for a 23 to 14 lead. I was there to watch Ohio State commitments offensive tackle Paris Johnson and defensive lineman Darion Henry, and they were both as advertised. Even though Princeton did not win, they both were outstanding. Uh, Johnson's just dominating. You know, you, when you look at him, Dan, <laughs> you, you don't see uh, the typical. What is sometimes the typical uh, offensive line prospect, a big guy that weighs 320 pounds and looks every pound of that. Uh, Johnson doesn't. He's not at all sloppy. He, if you looked up a picture of the prototype offensive tackle prospect in the dictionary, I think his picture would be there. Um, he's six foot seven. He's about 290 pounds. Um, great body, great power. Uh, feet. He has tremendous feet. You know, he is a guy that uh, he's. If he continues on the path he's on, he's going to be a number one draft choice in the NFL draft. And I'm talking about a high number one draft choice. And uh, he's just outstanding. Darion Henry. Uh, he's come, he came off that injury and he's back in shape. He got after that injury, he looked good. Beginning of the game. The Colerain seemed to run at him a lot. He was more than up to the task. In fact, first series, he had a strip tackle, ball on the ground. Princeton recovers it, and a play or two later, they throw a long touchdown pass, first score of the game. Uh, as the game went on, it seemed like Colerain ran away from him more often, proved to be a good strategy, but uh, Darian Henry played very well also on Friday night. All right, Bill, big game this week on the road for the Buckeyes. What does that mean for the staff recruiting-wise? Well, they'll do the usual in-week recruiting stuff, as they always do. Um, you know, you're probably going to see more offers going out this week to 2021 kids in particular. Uh, but then, of course, uh, with an away game, uh, the weekend will be devoted to that game. And uh, certainly they'll be uh, in contact with recruits and hoping those recruits are going to be watching it on TV. And the good thing is, it's a night game, and those games are great for recruiting. Even though it's a away game, it's still good for recruiting because people tend to watch, prospects tend to watch more a night game than a 12 noon game. So that's a positive for recruiting. The beat goes on, Bill. Thanks, and have a great Sunday. All right. Thanks, Dan. Have a great day. We'll be back in just a minute with the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. Meet me. He's here every week on Bucknuts Almost Live. The people chant Matt Bax and Bill Bax. How goes it this fine Sunday? Well, I'm in the city of Detroit, Michigan, from one of my son's hockey tournaments this weekend. So yesterday was a cornucopia of schadenfreude for me. It's been a very good weekend. If you're calling from Detroit, you're calling with a limp. We can accept that. Your thoughts on Ohio State's beatdown yesterday against Miami? Well... It was a very weird game because the start of the game was a 5 nothing. what's going on here, and then they went on a 76 to nothing run. And so I have to say that the way that this team sort of executed after the terrible start really tells you something about them because they scored six touchdowns in the second quarter of the game. At halftime, it was 49-5. to They had the spread covered already, and then they kept their foot on the pedal. The truth is Miami was utterly overmatched by an uber-talented OSU team. We got to see a ton of the young guys play, and really that was one of the more exciting parts of the day, was seeing the young guys actually getting in the game. Uh, it was really the opportunity to see the future, even if it's not going to be another year or two until those guys are major contributors for the most part. 
So that was really the exciting takeaway, other than the fact that nobody got hurt for OSU. You know, in the end, I mean, oh, and the other thing we got to see was it was like Chase Young looked like the high school senior who's going off to play D1 football playing against the freshman team. I mean, he missed one sack because the quarterback for Miami was too short. <laughs> it was like in the first quarter. Otherwise, Chase Young would have had yet another sack. That guy is absolutely unblockable right now. And coming off of an era where we had the Bosa brothers, I never thought we'd have anybody else play at that level in the next little bit. But Chase Young might be at a level even above them. He's absolutely the best defensive end in America. There's no debating it at this point. Let's talk about what everyone wants to talk about. Max, I asked this question before the season on the BM5 to Dwayne. We did a whole podcast about it, and I wasn't being a homer when I said it. I did not understand why people had Michigan pick above Ohio State. It's almost like these people don't get the recruiting rankings. This this isn't going to change, by the way. I mean, you can see the talent laid out for years. Your impressions of yesterday's game, it sounds like you watched it in the state of Michigan, possibly, which leads to the word schadenfreude, and hopefully people are Googling heavily. As I said earlier, not even that competitive of a game. Your thoughts? Well, let me save everybody time. Schadenfreude is my favorite word in any language. It is a long German word that literally translates to joy at another person's sorrow, which sums up how I felt about watching all the Michigan people around me with their amazing blue tears running down their cheeks. It was one of the most enjoyable experiences I've ever had walking around a hockey rink complex. I had five rinks. There's a lot of people there during the game, and Michigan was just getting bludgeoned. And you could just see the whole place getting grumpier and grumpier. And so our Ohio-based team, which was all wearing OSU gear, and some complicit Spartan fans were really having a lot of fun at the Michigan events. Um, I have to say that outside of my personal enjoyment of the whole beatdown, it's such an indictment of Jim Harbaugh at this point. Look, he's this guy who everybody expected to be the savior with some beautiful new offense this year. This was, quote, their year because Ohio State was, quote, down. And the truth is nobody paid attention to anything other than, well, I guess Michigan's, quote, unquote, due. Whoever wrote that article where Michigan was, quote, due needs to be smacked in the head. And the truth is Michigan football is mediocre. Jim Harbaugh will get them to seven or eight wins every year. And then when they play against anybody good to great, they lose. That's what they do. At the end of the day, Jim Harbaugh in his career at Michigan, 0-7 as an underdog. He's never won in a game they expect to lose. Urban Meyer in his career at he was something like 6-1 and as an underdog. But Jim Harbaugh just flat out is a coach who got Michigan back to a respectable, consistent level. He's not a coach who's going to ever take them above it. Plain and simple. They don't recruit well enough to beat Ohio State. Ohio State has everything going for them in terms of the home turf when it comes to better recruits, in terms of program resources, in terms of people recognizing that OSU is an elite program. Michigan is only an elite program to people who still think it's 1953. They are stuck in the past. Michigan football does not win bowl games. Michigan football does not beat their rivals. Michigan football does not surprise people whenever they're underdogs. Michigan football goes to Wisconsin, gets punched in the face, and gets their manhood stolen and gets smacked around and loses it in a game where it was 35 nothing before Wisconsin had a couple guys ejected and Michigan got some garbage time points. The truth is, Jim Harbaugh's a fraud. Michigan football is a fraud. 
And until people recognize that and actually stop convincing themselves every summer that, quote, next year is going to be the year, they're like Notre Dame at this point, except Notre Dame, after watching Georgia yesterday, at least currently has some substance as a football team. Michigan does not. And Michigan right now is staring at an 8-4 and four kind of season. And I hope that's enough to make them happy because they're going to be here with Jim Harbaugh for a while. Yesterday, in my opinion, was the end of the Harbaugh era because that game shattered most perceptions of Harbaugh. And whenever the era actually ends, albeit at the end of this year or next year or whenever, that's the game we're all going to look back to because if you're a top-flight recruit, that's the kind of game you watch and you go, nope, not even considering it. And when your recruiting starts to fall off, as we all know, it's over. Jim Harbaugh's not going to bring in elite talent the way Ohio State is, the way Penn State is, the way Notre Dame is. They're a team at this point that is being left behind. And I can tell you right now, they're all going to convince themselves everything's better when they beat Rutgers next week. But does anybody see that team beating Sparty? Anybody see that team beating Ohio State or Penn State? Absolutely not. This is a Michigan team at this point that is a bunch of frauds. And Jim Harbaugh at this point is the emperor without clothes and a weird one at that. And that's about all I can say about that. You know, when Harbaugh was hired as an Ohio State uh, supporter, my greatest fear was his ability to develop quarterbacks. If you look at his stops prior to Michigan, he's always been able to turn the incumbent or recruit into a star and seriously you know, maximize their potential. He hasn't done that at all. That's the, one of their major problems is they can't develop a quarterback. Shea Patterson is a bad quarterback. Dylan McCaffrey, I guess we'll give him the benefit of the doubt based on his lineage, but I didn't see anything that would, would spook me. And here's a fact. If you put Ohio State and Michigan next to each other and label them as Team A and Team B and hid the brands, Michigan wouldn't even be in the conversation with them. They're not even close. So Harbaugh's living off the brand, in my opinion. He isn't helping it. I, I got to see a lot of the contenders yesterday. The one I did not see was Georgia Notre Dame. I have said that I thought Alabama, great offense, but surprisingly weaker on defense than usual, and they start a ton of freshmen. LSU, prolific offense. Joe Burrow looks great. But for the first time in a while, their defense looks suspect, and both Alabama and LSU are suspect on the defensive line, which is their usual calling card. So as it relates to Ohio State, I actually think Ohio State's in better position to beat both those teams. Clemson and Oklahoma actually look to me like the greatest threats just because Clemson might be the most balanced, and Oklahoma's offense to me just looks ridiculous. I would really hate to play Oklahoma and give Lincoln Riley more than one week to prepare. Is Georgia in the mix with those teams in terms of a threat to Ohio State as you see it? Yes, and if you remember last week when we discussed their four teams in, I picked Georgia. I also said that on the roundtable this week. Georgia's team I'm picking with the SEC right now for precisely the reason you brought up, their defense. Georgia is a team with a good quarterback in Jake Fromm who throws, pulls out some NFL throws every now and then. They have a good running game. Their offense is fine, right? I'm not overwhelmed by their offense, but look what else you did yesterday. Sure, they scored 66 points, but they gave up 38 points to Vanderbilt. That's unheard of for LSU to give up 38 points to almost anyone, much less Vanderbilt. That's a, that was like watching – it's like they're having their own Ohio State from last year moment where they found a quarterback and they're so amazed by it, but, oops, their defense stinks right now. And so they have to outscore everybody to win every game. 
that's multiple times this year LSU's defense has given up 38 points. That's just for LSU. That just doesn't happen, right? And then while Alabama, look, they're good, but they haven't really played anybody worth a damn at this point. And all they got are a bunch of young players. So if push comes to shove, both LSU and Georgia are probably a better team. And I'm not quite sure that Auburn isn't going to give them a game this year. Bama feels vulnerable to me. And by vulnerable, I mean at worst they're 10-2, and two, but they still feel vulnerable. To me, Georgia feels like the most complete team in the SEC. And I will say this. I think Ohio State would beat any of them. I think Clemson's a much more dangerous team, though. I think Clemson's having a little bit of Ohio State 2015-itis right now, where they're kind of a little hungover from last year's championship, and they're still playing very well. But there's something slightly off about them. So that'll be interesting to see with Clemson. I think Oklahoma really needs to be tested a bit more for me to decide that they're completely undefeatable. But I do think their offense is superpowered, and they're the one I want to avoid first as well. But of the SEC teams right now, I have to pick Georgia to be the one to represent that conference. Uh, and I think Ohio State would do well against them because I think Ohio State would stop their running game. And Georgia's receivers, there's no you – know, it's not like Alabama where they've got a phalanx of wide receivers or LSU, which has a ton of great receivers. Georgia's receivers are good, not great. And I think OSU's secondary match up well with them. So it's a game where, weirdly enough, I think Georgia is probably the team that I think comes out of the SEC, but it's also the one I think Ohio State matches up the best against. Because I see them getting into a bit of a shootout with the other team. I don't see that with Georgia. Georgia then strikes me as one of these games where they're going to play uh, maybe a little bit more of an old-school kind of game against OSU. But I will say this. Can you imagine what would happen if Georgia played Ohio State in the playoff? Justin Fields versus Jake Fromm, the transfer versus the kid who stayed. That would be like the storylines write themselves. Like I, I couldn't just even start to fathom to imagine that. But after watching last night's game, my two big takeaways were, one, I think Georgia has the best of the defenses down south, and two, Notre Dame was surprisingly better than I thought, and I'm glad they lost that game because if they had won, that they may have gone undefeated again this year. And I'm against Notre Dame in the playoffs in all shape or form because they never challenged themselves you know, one or two games every year. So in the end, that's uh, that was a very interesting takeaway for Georgia, and right now they continue to be protected. When people were looking at Ohio State's season at a possible pitfall, many, many, including myself, postulated this coming weekend at Nebraska would be an issue. Ohio State's gone on the road and gotten stumped a couple times in the last two years to inferior products in Purdue and Iowa. Having watched the games, though, I have to admit I don't really feel the same right now about Nebraska. The idea that you got to struggle or you trail Illinois late in a game, I cannot then consider your outfit to be one that should beat Ohio State. Here's my only fear in a deja vu-like fashion. Nebraska got three touchdowns yesterday from a guy named Rondale Robinson, who looks a lot like Rondale Moore, who was going to go to Ohio State, I thought, at one point, and is now the slot player extraordinaire for the Huskers, just like Moore is for the Boilers. Provided we don't get uh, Wandale Robinson, I see this as a blowout. Your vibe on the trip to Lincoln. Well, I generally agree with that. And here's my thought process. First of all, I was just like you. Started the year, this game was the one I circled. My calendar is a trap game. Like, I think almost everybody did to the point where it felt like it almost wasn't a trap game anymore because we talked about how much of a trap game it was. And I think also there's an expectation we had for Nebraska at the start of the year that 
we all bought into the Adrian Martinez hype that, you know, Frost had fixed it. The West was wide open. And a lot of people, myself included, whoops, picked Nebraska to actually win the West. As of right now, I think we're all pretty clear that Wisconsin's the best team out there by a mile. Uh, they may be the best team in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State. So Nebraska, on the other hand, this year, look, they're 3-1 and one right now. Their only loss was an overtime loss at Colorado at a game that they blew a 17-point lead. So they're not a bad team. They're certainly improved. But they're also a team that last night, if you didn't stay up late, like I did after the Georgia game, working on the bucket of bullets, and I watched Nebraska come back in the fourth quarter to beat Illinois 42-38. Now, they outgained them 2-1 to one in the game. They had some dumb fumbles. They still had 600 yards of offense. But the truth is that Nebraska, they're a team that doesn't really play well on defense. And Martinez is still a young quarterback. You know, Nebraska next year, the year after, maybe the team we thought this year. I think we got a little ahead of ourselves. The only thing about this team that really gets me is that this is the first real hostile. Justin Fields is going to face. There's going to be 90,000 people there being very loud. It's not like the Indiana game. You had 35,000 people and half of them are OSU fans, right? This is a legit road environment. And you know Nebraska is going to play above their heads. But the problem is that this isn't the same OSU team that we expect either. This OSU team is not bringing a young but learning talented quarterback into this game. OSU is bringing a quarterback in who has more touchdowns through four games this year than Dwayne Haskins did last year. Ohio State is bringing a team in that has been a machine that has averaged 44 points per win as a margin of victory and hasn't given up 44 points total through four games. So you have a juggernaut OSU team coming against a Nebraska team that week one had to have three defensive touchdowns to beat South Alabama. Uh, blew a big lead against a Colorado team that, hey, Colorado is 4-0. They beat Arizona State last night to become, I believe, the last remaining undefeated Pac-12 team. But they're also a team that had to come back against North, or against Illinois. And I, I think Nebraska has more of 7-5 and written on them than 9-3 and or 10-2. and At this point, OSU is playing too well for me to really believe that they're going to be in a position to do anything that put up a great number in this game and continue what they're doing. Uh, I also think, here's another thing, that Indiana win looks better and better by the day, that Cincinnati win looks better and better by the day. Indiana blew out UConn yesterday, 38-3. So OSU's teams that they've beaten so far seem to have had a little bit of a pulse. And I really think going into this game for Ohio State, you talk about history repeating itself. What I thought you were going to go to was, remember when Braxton Miller took the team to Nebraska and then got hurt and they had to put Joe Bosserman in? and OSU blew a big lead, I was, like, thinking you were going to say something like, Justin Fields needs to stay healthy because if he doesn't, I'm worried about the backups. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's the thought process I thought you were going with, Dan. So uh, as long as Justin Fields is playing at a high level, Nebraska's not going to beat the Buckeyes because this Ohio State defense is going to eat that Nebraska running game alive. They'll get some points. They will. But this strikes me as, like, a 45-20 kind of game, and Nebraska getting 20 may be a little bit of garbage time. It's not the same scary game I thought the Buckeyes were going to have when we were talking about this in September. Yeah, this defense is what I think it is. There, but some of those 20 points will have to come in garbage time. That really is still the lingering question for me. Um, they've done it against you know, some inferior opponents. I'm not saying Nebraska is even that impressive. But to go on the road 
and shut down an offense that has some good players and a quality quarterback would be a sign that I think the defense is legit. We appreciate Bill and Bax stopping by. And a strong run to start the season. Let's keep it going, Bucknutters. Have a good one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.